Amen. All right, check this out. One Sunday morning, this old cowboy, right? He enters into this church service, and of course, he's a cowboy. What's he doing? He's wearing these grubby old jeans and this uh, denim shirt. He's got some scuffed up boots, but he's got a worn out Bible. That's a good sign. But uh, so he gets in there, but unfortunately, the people of this congregation, man, they were all dressed. They were dressed to the 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 T, man. They had expensive clothes and all the accessories, the whole nine yards. And so the cowboy, he takes his seat there, and and, and as soon as he did, the other people actually moved away from him. Yeah. In fact, they, they wouldn't greet him. They didn't speak to him. Nothing during the whole service. And when the service was over, that's bad enough. Uh, the old cowboy, he's, he's leaving there. And a deacon from this church approaches him and asks the cowboy to, if he'd do him a favor. And so he said, uh, here's what you need to do. Before you come back here again, why don't you have a talk with God? And you ask him what he thinks will be the appropriate attire before you come here and worship. So the old cowboy, he assured the deacon, yeah, okay, I'll talk to God. And well, sure enough, the next Sunday, he showed up for services again, and he was wearing the same old raggedy clothes. And once again, he was completely shunned and ignored. And once again, here comes the deacon. After the service, he approaches the guy and says, hey, I thought I told you to speak to God about what you should wear before you come back to our church services. And the old cowboy says, well, I did. I talked to God. And the deacon said, well, okay, well, if you spoke to God, what did he tell you was the proper attire for worshiping here? And the cowboy says, well, sir, God told me he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He's never been here before. (laughs) Woo, ouch. You ever been to one of those church services? Woo, man, unfortunately, they're out there a dime a dozen. That's crazy. You're missing the boat, okay? Sometimes you go to these places and you wonder if God really is there. You know what I'm saying? Now, as bad as that is, folks, uh, unfortunately, going to a church services and wondering if God really is there, it's not just true for that congregation. Believe it or not, there's an epidemic. It's way bigger than, unfortunately, the coronavirus. It's this, folks. It's churches out there every single day doing the same thing. People go in and they look around. They're going like, what is this? Is God really here? And you know how that happens? It's when you and I, the church in America, we walk around acting like we don't know who we are, suffering from what we've been calling practical amnesia right? And what are we doing? We say we know who we are as the church, but by our lips and our lives, what are we doing? We're acting like we don't even know who we are, okay? We're giving a false impression of who the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be, okay? And it's not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. Hey, folks, we're in a fishbowl. People are looking at us, right? So guess what? That can keep somebody else from coming to Christ. Now, do you know why when I finally, as you know my testimony, when I finally got awakened to spiritual things, when I'm staring at my high school buddy's dead body in a casket that was a wake-up call do you know what route i refused to go when i began to get interested in spiritual things christianity you know why because the people that i hung out with in high school guess what they were doing the same sinful rotten things i was doing and if they weren't too hungover, guess where they would go on sundays the church that kind of duplicit behavior keeps people from turning to christ and so to avoid that atrocity of you and i acting like we got this practical amnesia by not knowing who we are we're going to continue our study from the word of god on the people of god us entitled the character of the church as you can see there now we've already seen that if we're going to get rid of this we got to get back to basics who are we we saw we are the body of christ we're not a building it's not a place we go it's us the people of god then we saw that we are a body of one a body of hope a body of joy love peace we're strangers isn't that wasn't that a cool one turn to somebody and say you're a stranger Right? You're strange. You're getting on my nerves. But anyway, a body of disciples, a body of servants, a body of rebels. And then last time for you call, we saw the 11th one was a body of worshipers. And there we saw, unfortunately, the sad news that even though the Bible says we're supposed to be worshipers of God, come on, that's the greatest commandment, right? We surely we got that one. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah, we're worshiping all right. We're worshiping anything and everything but God. 
Okay, and I'm talking not the lost folks, I'm talking in the church. Okay, and we saw that we're worshiping our things, we're worshiping our titillation, in other words, the entertainment, okay? And we're even worshiping our treasure. You can't serve both money and God, you better figure out which side you fall on, on that aspect. And it's not just like, oh well, I, just, I guess I'm not a really good worshiper of God. No, no, see, you're, every day, Christian, when we get out of bed, you're giving the world an impression of something, And when you live like this, instead of what God calls us to be, you're giving the impression that the church of Jesus Christ is a body of heartless, greedy idolaters of man. And I don't know about you, but I kind of think that's not quite the impression Jesus wanted his people to have for the lost when he died on the cross for us. Amen? Can we agree on that one? Okay. Unfortunately, Debbie, I'm still preaching, so guess what? There's got to be more, and the prophet Debbie has spoken. There is. The 12th thing that we got to know about us, the church, if we're going to stop acting like we got practical amnesia, is what? The church is a body of warriors, man. Turn to somebody and say it again. I'm a warrior for God. And you got to say it like that too. I'm a warrior for God, right? <laughs> but again, I'm not making this up, man. This is so clear in the scripture repeatedly, right? And, uh, but don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God, right? This is one obvious passage, folks. We are warriors, i.e. soldiers for Jesus Christ, okay? And as we all know, soldiers, you just sit around and do your own thing. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, if that's your mentality, you've never been in the military or you don't understand how it operates. But let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 is our opening text. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. 2 Timothy, of course, was written by... Ah, I tricked you. It was written by Paul to Timothy. That's right. Now that your memory is jogged and paying attention with that quandary, let's, uh, now we're focused, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses one through seven. Here's what Paul says to who? Timothy, you got that part, right? Okay, young pastor Timothy, right? Valuable lesson, important information for this young, on fire pastor, a little bit timid, but Paul's trying to encourage him, right? Here's what he says. Now you then, my son, right? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses and entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, then he goes on. He says, endure hardship with us like a what? A good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to break it down. He says, here's a soldier's life. I mean, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in what? Civilian affairs, right? Why? Because we all know that when you join the military, you can just basically just leave anytime you want. You can say, you know what? I've had fun for this weekend, but (laughs) I'm gonna go home now. No, it doesn't work out that way, right? Your life is their life now. That's what he's saying. He's talking spiritually, folks. You don't, get, you don't go AWOL. You don't get involved in civilian affairs. Here's the whole purpose. Now you're in the army now. So guess what? He wants to what? Please his commanding officer. Then he gives you a couple more analogies. He says, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. He gives you another one. This, now, uh, the hardworking farmer, he should be the first to receive, receive a share of the crops. Now, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. You may be seated if you can. But what we see here basically is Paul is giving several different analogies to young Pastor Timothy to look at the Christian life and serving Jesus Christ, our time on earth, in three different ways, right? Let's break it down. He talked about that athlete, right? Athlete running hard, running the race like the Olympics. And we all know when people train for the Olympics, the first thing you do when you get out of bed is you go straight to Krispy Kreme. Right? That's what you do. No, you go to the buffet here every single day in Vegas, right? You just, because you, that's what the Bible says, right? Paul says he buffets his body. 
No, that's King James translation. It's Buffett. But anyway, that's right. Uh, but no, that's no. When you're an athlete, what do you do? Man, you talk about discipline. It's a strict diet, and every day you're focused, man. And I've got to be careful, and it's all measured out. And that's what he's saying. As a Christian, you need to live like that. It's serious. You got to take it. If you're going to run this race, man, you better be disciplined. You better get this thing straight, right? It's it's a, it's a life of sacrifice. You don't live like other people. And because there's something you're running for, something more valuable, a prize beyond this world. That's the first analogy. Another one he gives there is the hardworking farmer, not just a farmer. How many of you guys ever grew up in farming? All, hardly any of you, but I did. Grew up in Kansas. Now, as we all know, lately in politics, according to, what was that, Mini Mike? All you gotta do in farming is just put a seed in the ground and it grows. Farming's easy, right? No, are you remember that? It's crazy because if anybody knows about farming, that is hard work, man. You're a sun up to sundown. You just don't stop. It just never stops, right? And there's there's a lot behind it. Okay, you don't just plop a seed in the ground. There's so much to it, right? And that's why he says like a hard working. In fact, the word there in the Greek is literally to the point of exhaustion. And that's that kind of life. And he says that's what we're supposed to do as Christians to the point of exhaustion right? It's hard work, but you don't quit because guess what? Crops, the crop's going to come one day, right? And that crop, man, is going to be on your wildest. It's going to be worth it. So just keep it up, sweat, toil, even to the point of exhaustion. Don't quit because the crop, the harvest is going to come in, right? But the one I want to focus on there is the third one. He says that we are to be what? Soldiers, right? A warrior literally for God, okay? And he says there, uh, again, as a soldier, put yourself in that mindset, Again, when you check into the military, you know, um, check them out, okay? You are basically dedicated, right? Uh, you can get kicked out, unfortunately. But in the positive sense, you basically give your life over to this entity and you exist to do what they say to do. That's us as Christians, right? In fact, that's why he says there, and now your whole thing is two things. One, you stay away from the civilian life. In other words, I, I want to go back the way it was or, or I'm only here temporarily, but my focus is really living on, no, your whole life has become their life. And that's what it should be for Jesus Christ. Our whole life as a soldier for God needs to be, it's about Jesus now. I'm here to serve him. I'm his soldier. Yeah, and when he says something, he gives a command. Yes, sir, how high, sir, right? That's the mentality. And that's what he says there. And he seeks only to what? Not to get involved in the world anymore. I've walked away from the world. I've checked out of the world and checked into the military. I'm here to please who? In the context, you're right. Our heavenly commander, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's why I exist, okay? So that's what he says here, right? That basically, in essence, to hone in on that one aspect, that we are, every Christian is a body of warriors. That's who we are as the church. We not only work hard, we not only train hard, we fight hard, and our whole goal every day we get out of bed is I'm here to please my heavenly commander. Why? Why would he even use the fact that I'm here in a, a military aspect? Because we are in a great cosmic battle with souls on the line, all eternities at stake, right? We are in a war, okay? So again, that's just common sense, Right? I'm not even counting the fact that we did 30 weeks. Who's counting? I am. 30 weeks on spiritual warfare. Remember that a couple years ago? Right? Bible's replete with this kind of knowledge, okay? But the question is, is that how we're behaving? Are we like those hardworking athletes, those hardworking farmers? Are we like soldiers for Jesus that we know that we, we don't exist for ourselves in this world anymore? Every day we get out of bed, that's our mindset every single day. Yes, sir. How high, sir? I exist for you, Jesus. I'm here to please you. Well, you think we would. Unfortunately, that's not what's going on. 
You look at most churches today, it doesn't look like we're honing our skills to become stronger warriors for God. It looks like we're hiding in the hills trying to run from God. Bunch of chickens. And we know that's evil. Right? And so my question, why did, how did this happen? This is basic Christianity. Old Testament, New Testament, come on, man. Warriors for God, soldiers for God. It's all over the place. Why would we act like that? Well, a couple reasons why that I've learned. The first one is we've started denying that there is even a battle to fight in the first place. And we act like it's just the whole goal of the Christian life is just to tiptoe through life with as much comfort as possible with a padded cross and we arrive at death safely. And there's nothing ever strenuous going on. Excuse me? And again, speaking of our spiritual warfare study, let's just take a look at another passage from Paul, realizing, folks, listen, we are in a battle. We are in a war. Every day you get out of bed, you're in a war. And that war will not stop until you get to heaven. That's why he uses soldier language, right? Here's just one passage we've seen before in our spiritual warfare study. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, Paul says, be what? Strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? Because you need to be putting on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against absolutely nothing. Now, what's he say? Against the devil's scheme. There really is a devil and there really is demons. There really is spiritual warfare. I didn't say it, God did. That's why you need to be strong in his power. That's why you need to put on the armor. And then he goes on. Uh, uh, Did you know this? Every day, our struggle is not just against flesh and blood. It's not always just natural. Sometimes it's supernatural. He says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So again, Paul here, he reiterates his common sense, right? He doesn't, uh, 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 he assumes that the Ephesian church, everybody knows this. And so I'm just gonna encourage you how to handle it. He basically says, we are in a war. Every day, Christian, you're in a war. That's why you're called a soldier, okay? And in order to deal with that war every day when you get out of bed, uh, how you maintain staying strong and enjoying the victory that God has already given to us is what he said there is what you knew to do is you need to sleep with the Bible underneath your pillow. Because we all know there's a supernatural transference and it leaches into your brain and you wake up the next day, oh, wow. No, no, he said, here's what, if you're gonna stand strong in this battle, man, that you're in every single day, here's what you gotta do. You need to tape, that's right, tape gospel tracks to your eyelids. And every time you blink, you're an effective soldier for Jesus, sharing the gospel. That's not what he said for you, those of you wondering. Okay, let's move on. Uh, no, no, no. This, hey, come on. Because this is obviously what this means. You know you've ran into a mighty warrior for God, a soldier for Jesus. When you see that they've put that I love Jesus bumper sticker on their car, that's what it is every day. We're strong. We're going to win. We're gonna... No, he didn't say that. What do you say to do? He says, you better be strong in God's power. You better put on his armor, right? Why? Because every day when you get out of bed, you are in a war. And there is a real live enemy out there out to seek you to destroy your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. Praise God, he can't take away our salvation, but he just moves to plan B. And plan B is to get you to do anything else but serve Jesus Christ, let alone reflect him. We don't have to worry. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. But God says, you just put, do what I say. Stay strong in God's power. Stay plugged into Jesus Christ every single day. And you put on that armor. Have a great day. Being an effective soldier. Getting out there witnessing and reflecting this truth from God. So surely we know that, right? We know that there's an actual demonic force out there whose sole purpose is to not just lead the lost to hell, but it's to wreak havoc on Christians who are headed to heaven, right? And that, that's why we're called soldiers. We're in a, a war, a battle, right? Are you kidding me, folks? As we saw before in our spiritual warfare study, he has got us good. 
And you, you take a look at it as a battle attack. Here's the first thing he's doing, right? Anybody knows, speaking of military terms, if you want to win a war, then one of the things before you go to your opponent, if you can get this, it's a major leg up on him. And that's called the element of surprise, right? That's just a common battle attack, if you can pull it off. And what you do with the element of surprise is you're there, but you somehow convince your enemy that you're not there, right? And then when they kind of relax and kind of like, okay, we're safe, there's nothing to worry about, we're okay, right? But you're right there, they don't know it, right? They deny your presence, and then what happens? Boom, then you sneak right in when they least expect it, right? And they're not, they don't even have their weapons in hand, and you come in and you clean house, right? That's the element of surprise, and so surely we wouldn't fall for that as Christians. We know this is just a basic battle tactic. And folks, I, 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 I still can't believe this stat gets worse every year. When you take a look at the statistics, folks, we Christians, I kid, professing Christians, I'll say, in America, we act like there is no battle in the first place. We, we deny that there even is a literal devil in the first place. We act like we are, listen, the, the Christian life is a cakewalk instead of a battlefield. I mean, wonder why we're getting chewed alive? We act like there is no spiritual warfare going on. And you wonder why he's having a heyday in the church? I'm not talking in the world, I'm talking in the church. In fact, you look at the supernatural beliefs. Paul says not all of our battles are natural. Sometimes it's supernatural. But then when you look at professing Christians, their belief in the supernatural, it's all messed up. Folks, watch this, this is nuts, okay? Uh, 85% of all Americans identify themselves as Christians. Apparently, all you got to do is say you're a Christian, and somehow you are one. Now, if that were true, we wouldn't be in the shape we're in. Hello. So, but, but, but that's how easy it is to, quote, be a Christian. Out there. I, I just, I'm a Christian. Well, 39% of Americans say that although Jesus Christ was crucified, he never, he never had a physical resurrection. Folks, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're doomed. We're headed straight to hell, right? But you're thinking, well, why would, why would America think that? That's... 39%? Well, maybe it's because of the 35% of professing Christians that say that although Jesus Christ was crucified, he never had a physical resurrection. That's a stat in the church today, the professing church. No wonder the world thinks like that. That's the impression we're giving them. Oh, it gets even worse. 54% of all Americans believe that if a person is generally good in life, then they'll earn a place in heaven. You gotta be kidding me. You can't earn your way to heaven. Talk about basic Christianity. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by him. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. It's his work on the cross, not yours, lest anyone should boast. The scripture's clear. How could the lost think that you can earn your way to heaven? Well, maybe it's from the 38% of professing Christians who believe that if a person is good enough, they can earn a place in heaven. If that's what you believe, you're not a Christian. Okay? And then let's keep going. Maybe it's also from the, I can't believe this, 11% of Christians who don't know what will happen when they die. And this is really bad. Or the 2% of say that when they die, they're not going to heaven. What kind of gospel is that? <laughs> Ain't the good news. That's the bad news, man. You need to run from that church. 69% of Americans don't believe that hell is an actual location of physical torment where people may be sent. Even though Jesus talked way more about hell than he ever did about heaven. Why? Because he loves people enough to warn them not to go there. And he came to the earth, died on the cross, so that you and I could be rescued from a poor, low self-esteem or a poor economic existence. And no, Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from hell. Why did Jesus come? If there is no hell, why did he come? Right? Now you're thinking, that's nuts. That's almost... 
two-thirds of our country. Where would they get that impression from the 65% of Christians who say that Satan is not a living being but a symbol of evil? The church doesn't even believe in a literal Satan, let alone hell. When's the last time you ever went to a church service other than here and you actually heard a message on hell or even heard the word hell, let alone sin or wrath or it's, it's absent. And they act like this whole thing's a cakewalk when we're in the middle of a war. One guy said this, the Christian body in America is immersed in a crisis of biblical illiteracy. How else can you describe matters when, listen, not the loss, but quote, church-going people reject the accuracy of the Bible, reject the existence of Satan, claim that Jesus sinned, see no need to evangelize, believe that good works are one of the keys to persuading God to forgive us of their sins, and in many ways, he says, we are living in an age of theological anarchy. And might I add, theological denial. How in the world could you sit there and say that you're a warrior for God when you don't even believe that there's a literal Satan and demons that you're fighting against? You're denying the battle. How can you fight a battle that you don't even acknowledge? And that's a huge, huge problem. How can we enjoy the victory that Christ has already given to us if we don't acknowledge one or even believe in the one he's given us victory over? How can we fight an enemy and an enemy we refuse to acknowledge and see? No wonder our testimony is in the toilet and we're getting smacked around, okay? The fact is, folks, we, listen, we are not experiencing victory over temptation because we don't even believe that a great tempter exists. Every day when you get out of bed, there are angels, there are demons. We may not see it, but they're nonetheless real. And well, that means it's not real because I can't see it. Really? How many guys right now see the television waves going through this auditorium right now? Please don't raise your hand because you can't, right? How about the radio waves? How about the heat, right? We don't see none of that stuff, but we know it's real. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's real. The Bible talks about different dimensions, and one of those is the spiritual dimension, that which angels and de- angels from God, the non-fallen ones, but the demons, the fallen angels, they traverse, okay? The prince of the power of the air. The scripture talks about the enemy. Every day when you get out of bed, folks, We've seen this before, but this is kind of what's going on. And yet people wonder why there's so many conflicts, so many fights, things just don't seem to go right in the church, the home, the family, the business, whatever. Listen, not all your battles are just flesh and blood. It's not just natural. Sometimes there's supernatural demonic infestations causing the trouble. Let's take a look at this again.
Wow, that was a pretty cool cartoon, Pastor Billy. Well, think about it, folks. There's no other way to depict it outside of Scripture than a cartoon because you know what? If we really saw what was really going on, that that depicted, we'd freak out. And again, you go back to my testimony. I'm not boasting this at all. wish I wouldn't have bought the T-shirt back in the day. Seen the actual apparitions with my own eyes involved in the occult myself, and this stuff is real. And I've said so many times from the pulpit before, I said, sometimes I wish just for 24 hours God would open up our spiritual eyes to see what's really going on in this world, the angels and the demons and the battle and the conflict that they're really in every single day, day in, day out. And you know what would happen? Man, we would clean up our walk with Jesus just like that. We'd start witnessing up a storm just like we get serious about pleasing our heavenly commander because he's the only one that could rescue us from whoa, whoa. I don't think we could even take 24 hours. But folks, this is what's going on day in, day out. Now think about it. It's not always natural. Oh, it's just a bad day at the office. Well, it's just, you know, our family, it was just one of those days we just had a conflict going on. Well, the church, you know, just stuff weird, weird stuff's going on in the church lately. It's just, it's just all natural. Maybe it's just the weather. No, it's the full moon. That's what it is. No, what's the scripture say? Listen, why are there so many fights? Why are there so many problems? Why is there so much division? Why is there so much animosity? Why don't things just ever seem to stop? They just don't. I'll tell you why. Because we're in a war. And that's why God calls us soldiers, warriors for God. Now, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to be afraid. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And as long as I stay plugged into Jesus Christ and God's mighty power and put on his armor, have a great day. You can be an effective witness like that guy. The very angels of God will be dispatched to protect you. You ain't got to be afraid, but don't act like it's not real. Because the enemy will have a heyday. Why did that whole neighborhood was under demonic assault because they didn't believe in God. They don't believe in a devil or demons. They're having a heyday with those people. And see, I expect the lost to do that, but not the church. Come on. But here's the point, man. If, 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 if you can't stop denying that the battle, that there really is one between the devil and God, then how in the world can you call yourself a warrior for God? What are you fighting against if there's not even a battle? The second thing we do is we start sabotaging the battle. Now, this is sad. This is where the enemy gets us to beat each other up instead of the enemy. Don't tell me that's not the enemy. And this is what actually Paul warned about, right? Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15, he warned the Galatian church. He said, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to what? Indulge the sinful nature. Don't do that. Rather, church, you need to what? serve one another in love, right? In fact, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbors yourself. That's basic Christianity. We love God, number one. Number two, we love our neighbors, certainly the body of Christ, right? Now, why do we need to do that? Because if you're not busy loving one another in the church, listen, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by Satan because he came in. <laughs> no, who'd he get to destroy the church? He got the church to destroy the church you'll destroy each other, right? And so surely we know this. I mean, this is, we, we know this is another attack of the enemy, right? The first one was the element of surprise, right? How do you take your enemy out? You, you get them to think that you're not there when you're there the whole time and bang, you got them. This one is the element of antagonism. And you let the enemy get armed to the teeth. You let them bring in all the weaponry they want. You let them bring in all the ammo and everything and, and all the gear and all that stuff, and you let them train. You let them uh, to become even more effective uh, fighters, okay? But here's the point. You just get them to expend all that fighting on each other and not you. 
And then you wait for them to literally start fighting amongst each other. That's when you move in, bang, take them out. We wouldn't fall for that, would we? Folks, if that's not a real potentiality, then why did Paul preach that? Because that unfortunately happens. The enemy not only gets us to deny the battle, he gets us actually to sabotage the battle. He actually gets churches to fight against each other and take each other out when we should be fighting the enemy. Isn't that nuts? Now, again, to show you that this really goes on and that the enemy does go into churches to get the church kill itself, Let's watch this one again we saw before. Former Satanists going into churches. Watch what they do to take the church out. They're not up here doing pentagrams and sacrifices. Watch what their methodology is, just like Paul warned about. Christians are the Satanist's worst enemy. They are out to torment you. They are out to blackmail you. They, they will even kill you. They even tried to kill me um, when I came out of um, black witchcraft. If you're in a church where the Spirit of God is really moving and where the Word of God is really being preached and where prayer is really going up to heaven for the salvation of souls, then they're going to regard you as their mortal enemies and they're going to be out there trying everything they can to, to destroy, to kill, and to maim because that is, of course, the nature of Satan and that is also the nature of his followers. They will try and infiltrate your church. They will try and set up whispering campaigns against the pastor and the elders. They may even try to seduce the pastor. For two years, I was involved in the Baptist church. I was constantly complaining about the pastor's sermons being too long, being too dry, sowing discord between the people, gossiping about others. I personally, in fact, was trained to learn all of the, 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 the Christian jargon, you know, to say hallelujah and praise the Lord and do all the right things. And yet I, I had no more idea of Jesus being my Savior than, than a man on the moon. If you can tear down the prayer foundation of a church, then you've destroyed that church. And that's what every witch or Satanist plans to do when they go into a church, is to tear down that prayer foundation and the rest of the church goes quickly after that. No demons flying through the window. They didn't come over here, build an altar, sacrifice humans and animals, and do their incantations. What was the techniques that Satanists used to bring a church down? From their own mouth. Gossip, whispering campaigns, just being disgruntled, self-focused I want you to preach what I want to preach I want you to sing what I want I want the kind of programs that I want I, 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 I as we saw before Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14 the fall of Satan was all about what? the five I wills, I will be like God I, 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 where do you think that mentality's coming from? but why do you do this? because he doesn't need to do a pentagram. He doesn't need to do these. All All he has to do is come into our midst. And wasn't that freaky? They're in there saying Christianese, hallelujah, amen. And they're a Satanists. And the guy was there for two years sitting in the pew and all he did was what? Hey, did you hear about this? He's talking about this and he's talking about the person. Can you believe that decision that was just made by the leadership that was nuts? Did you see that person over there? Oh, can I tell you something? You sat in my pew. (laughs) 
I've said this before so many times in ministry. Christian, sometimes the people you need to witness to are the people sitting next to you at the church service. Just because you go to church service don't make you a Christian. Those guys weren't saved at that point. Better wake up. But what's the point? Don't let the enemy trick you into becoming an enemy to the church and using you as a tool to destroy the church because that's what Paul warned about. You better watch out. You better keep your eyes open. What's the scripture say? Be alert. Always be prayerful. Be mindful. Gird up the ones in your mind. Pay attention. You're in a war. Sometimes the enemy will come in your midst and just stir out the pot to get you to get all and he'll stand back once he got the fire going it won't stop and he'll boom take you out he'll let you do the dirty work and that's why that's the bigger point man this is it yeah this makes me want to say that too (laughs) the baby prophet has spoken You look at today, the American church, folks, all the church problems, the church gossip, the church splits going on. Do you think that's all just natural? Paul said, you better watch out that you don't bite and devour each other. The enemy has tricked you into becoming the object of destruction. And if that's you, how can you call yourself a warrior for God? You know what you are? You're a warrior for Satan when all you do is go about selfishly self-centered destroying the church. You need to repent if you're really saved. The third reason why, and we close, you start running from the battle. What? Are you serious? Yeah, start running from the battle, okay? This is the, apparently the spirit of Jonah is all over you, which we need to shake off, okay? And this is what we see with Jonah. It, it still blows me away that he would do this. Jonah, one through three. Now, he's supposed to be a prophet of God, right? And again, in our context, we're supposed to be warriors for God, right? It's not just a label, it's who we are, so here's this prophet of God. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's what God said. You simple, remember, you're supposed to please your heavenly commander, right? Please do, do what he says. And so here's an order going out. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah said, yeah, absolutely, God. I'm heading there right now. Woo-wee. Nobody do. He ran. He actually ran away from the order from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now we were there a year before last. We actually went to Joppa and I learned an interesting Jewish custom and mannerism there. There's more going on here than just a Jonah running from God's order. The reason why he immediately runs straight to the sea is because the Jewish people had a superstition that God's power stopped at the sea. That God's power only worked on the land and the sea was full of evil and monsters and that's why he jumped on the boat to get out of the grasp of God. Do you understand what's going on here? And then, of course, what did God say? I'm in charge of the waters too. Watch, here comes the whale. Isn't that wild? He didn't just run. He was running where he thought God couldn't get him. But God got him. Because God always gets you. You can't run from God. Okay? But here we have God specifically called Jonah to preach God's truth to Nineveh, the city of wickedness. But what did Jonah do? Did he, he hopped up lickety split and he, he preached the truth right over there. He wasted no time and hightailed it out of there. And again, we're going, oh, Jonah, how could Jonah do that? What a God. <laughs> what a God. Good thing we don't do that. Yeah, sarcasm to prove a point, 
Okay, folks, we're doing the same goofball thing, okay? God calls us as warriors for him to what? Are we not in a world full of wickedness today? Yeah, big time all over. And what, what's the name of our town? Sin City. Woohoo! We should be out there all over as soldiers for Christ, just like Jonah when he finally got a clue and we're preaching the word of God, man, to these people because that's what we are in this world full of wickedness and we won't stop, man. We're soldiers for Christ. We're going to face any heat, any persecution for the cause of Christ because that's what the lost needs. The truth will set you free. We've got it. As soldiers, we give it to them every day. Well, that's what you think, but that's not what's going on. And here's another reason why. Element of surprise. Element of antagonism. This one I call the element of morale. Now pay attention. The first way that the enemy tries to destroy our morale is he convinces that we're no longer needed to fight. I've seen this in 20 some years of ministry, many different uh, places that I've pastored. It's just this common thread. Apparently you reach some mystical, magical age and you don't need to fight anymore for Jesus. You, You could just walk away. You know what that's called in the military? A wall. A wall. But 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 you know the enemy he he seduces people into doing this. I've not, I mean maybe maybe you heard some of his lies. You know you you know they, they, you hear this voice in your head one day. I mean you're serving Jesus. You're a faithful soldier and you're you're going strong. And all of a sudden you hear this voice. Hey hey, aren't you getting a little too old for this kind of thing? I mean isn't it a time some of those young whippersnappers? You know those millennials. Shouldn't they be doing some of the work? You need to just go off and do your own thing. Or no, no, maybe you heard this one. You know what? Aren't you just getting sick and tired of this? Aren't you getting sick and tired of all the stress? I mean, you think it would be serving God would be easy, but even though he never said that. But aren't you getting sick and tired of all the, the headaches and the conflicts and all the games that people play? Why don't you just let some other Christian deal with it and walk away? No, no, no. There's this proverbial quota, apparently, that you can meet. And then all of a sudden you hear this voice. And you know, haven't you put in enough time for the Lord? I mean, haven't you done your part over all these years? I mean, isn't it your time to just go do your thing now and live your best life? Learn to be a better you? We laugh at that, but how many people do you know in the church? They start out strong. They serve Jesus Christ as a faithful soldier, but then all of a sudden they go, woo, and they don't come back. Oh, they might punch in their religious time clock, but they don't help. They have literally checked out. Do you think that helps on the front lines? Think about it, folks. Think about that logic. It's not just unbiblical, it's ridiculous. Can you imagine if George Washington was getting ready to cross the Delaware and all of a sudden he said, hey, you know what? Woo, it's just, I'm just getting way too old for this. You know what I'm saying? I've been doing this for several years. and You know, you young guys can take care of this war. I'm out of here. I need to go get some socks. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine on the beaches of Normandy if the soldiers cried out, hey, 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 whoa, I didn't sign up for this. I am sick of this conflict. This is crazy. This is nuts. I got better things to do with my life. I'm out of here. Can you imagine if Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, said, you know what? I have had it with you guys. I'm sick and tired of your games. I'm going back to heaven to enjoy the rest of my life. You're on your own. Can you imagine if our Lord and Savior who came and went to war for us did that then where do we get off as supposed followers of Christ let alone warriors for Christ and doing the exact same thing I'll say it again you know what that is in military terms you've gone AWOL and at that point you're no longer a warrior for God you're a defector of God 
That's the first temptation. He gets you to check out. Destroys your morale. It ain't worth it. Just give up. Let somebody else do it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't fall for that. Paul served Jesus Christ all the way to the end till his head was chopped off. And he said, I, could, I finished the race. I kept the faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness. Don't stop. But the second thing is this. He thinks and gets you to think you're no longer qualified to fight. You see, you, maybe you don't want to give up. Maybe you want to serve Jesus Christ. But you blew it. You sin. If you've ever sinned after you've gotten saved, raise your hand. Now, those of you who didn't raise your hands, you just did. It's called lying. Okay, so we're all equal. Give me a break. It happens. I'm not condoning it. And hopefully in the process of maturity as Christians, we'll never become sinless. That doesn't happen until we lose the sin nature when we go to heaven. Amen? Praise God for that. But hopefully over time, you sin less. Right? That's the process of maturity, growing up in Christ, as we learn to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit so that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. However, there's going to be times when you blow it, myself included. So what do you do? You give up? (laughs) I can't serve Jesus anymore. That's what the enemy wants you to think. And maybe you've heard that voice after some time. You you want to serve Jesus Christ. You you haven't lost that soldier's mentality. You want to finish strong, but you just got done blowing it and a voice went through your head. Hey, you blew it this time, buddy. Oh boy, if everybody knew what you did, you, oh man, God ain't gonna forgive you for that one. Look at you, you call yourself a warrior for God. You're a loser for God. You might as well just sit down and check out. Can I tell you something? I know Christians. One that's going through my head, it's been over 20 years and they're still not serving Jesus Christ. But folks, once you buy into that lie, you not only stop fighting the great cosmic battle, but you will get tricked into sitting down on the battlefield when we desperately need you. You need to get back up and start fighting again. And the way you do that is this. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you don't understand what I did, Pastor Billy. If only you, listen, confess your sin. Jesus Christ can forgive you of any sin, all sin, all unrighteousness. Don't denigrate the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ is willing to forgive of all sins. He will cleanse you from all sin, all unrighteousness. You confess your sin, you get right back up, and you start serving him again. Don't you dare lose an ounce of time. Don't you dare blow a day in self-pity. You need to focus and grab hold of the cross of Christ. Do what he says, get up, and start fighting again. It's so hard on the front line. We don't need another soldier getting tricked into sitting down. Stand back up, fight again. You just don't understand. Listen, read the Bible. What a concept to hear from a preacher. Read the Bible. Folks, do you understand? Listen, if God was waiting for any of us, myself included, to be perfect before he would use us, how many of us would he use? None. In fact, when you read the scripture, God's always used messed up people. Turn to somebody and say, you're messed up. Right? But God can still use you. Let me give you an example, folks. It's always been this way. Okay, let's take a look at this. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. 
Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. And my dad, get back up and start fighting again on the front lines. Folks, whatever you don't give in to the lies of the evil one thinking that somehow you gotta be perfect before you can serve God. Are you kidding me? That is a lie from the pit of hell. The enemy is trying to destroy your morale so that you will stop serving Jesus Christ. If God could use a murderer, a liar, an adulterer, a thief, praise God, he could use you and me. Isn't that awesome? This is awesome. So what do you do? If you blow it, guess what? You just do what he says to do. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't run from God. Run to him. Confess, stand up, rise up, get back up, and start fighting again. Do not let the enemy destroy your morale. Listen, we are forever qualified to fight because we are forever forgiven in Jesus Christ. Get back up. Start fighting again. You're a warrior for God. And let's get busy doing something splendid for him in these last days. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not, and the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. 
Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon 
so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.